Do you want to speculate wildly? So hello, welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, we've chopped it down from eight to four, and now it's going to see who's going to make it to the big game. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are you getting on, lads? How's Tricks down in Cork? Uh, not a tremendous amount going on. It's a bit quiet here. Um, raining also, so I can't even go outside anymore. <laughs> Um, and at least, I mean, at least the NFL is good because the other sports I watch have not been great of late. The soccer season has fallen off a cliff a bit because all the teams are exhausted. Uh, my team, Liverpool, couldn't score a single goal against Rona's team, Man United, at the weekend. Um, and never looked likely to either. So, uh, yeah, it's not great on that front. So at least we have the NFL to, to keep are they, the spirits up. Are they leading the league or no? No, Man United, surprisingly, are now top of the table. But uh, likely Man City will win the title, I would think. But um, mm. Liverpool are third, I think now. Yeah, yeah teams are. It's team it's, in it, hand. Yeah, yeah. Teams are teams are not as dominant as they usually are. Teams are losing against teams they shouldn't be losing against. And any team that goes on a half decent run of form ends up uh, kind of shooting straight up to the top of the table. So who knows? Okay, not too bad. Uh, yeah, what did yourself, Ronan? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, I'll probably brave the rain a bit uh made of tougher stuff you know but uh look uh i think the covid numbers are coming down in ireland so hopefully uh in the near future things won't be quite as uh, quite as there at the moment but uh you know for now catching up on tv and stuff like that so happy yeah. days other than that ah very good yeah no, i'm saying watching a bit of television reading some books and uh we'll be returning to playing a little bit of uh rpg stuff so that'll be fun as well uh all the things you can do remotely from your house uh but yeah so as we will fly into doing uh the news for this week because there's actually a lot going on at the head coaching level uh jacksonville have hired ohio state head coach urban meyer uh he also has brought in scott Lenehan, old dallas offense coordinator as his oc uh 187 and 32 at the college level having coached utah florida and ohio state uh he has a very very good track record at the college level but hasn't really i don't think he's any experience at the nfl level no uh and he had a very cushy gig being set up uh doing the commentating on the college football and being paid quite a lot for it so i do wonder why he came out here uh, as i can only see downside unless he hits the ground running with this jacksonville team uh like i'm i'm, I'm not sure why you would leave a well-paying booth job to go and be the head coach of Jacksonville when you've refused several other gigs in the recent years. Well, I assume the pay is pretty good. <laughs> Apparently yeah. there, were, there were reports beforehand that he was looking for 12 million a year or something like that. Um, and like, look, he it's a, it's the kind of hire that you'll find some very um, polarized views on whether it's a good idea or not. As you mentioned there, he has no experience at the NFL level. And some of his initial comments were kind of going, oh, I've kind of looked over the NFL the last few months and, you know, it doesn't look that different from college. It's kind of basically, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's basically what he said. And, you know, you'd be a bit concerned about that because, you know, it is quite different, like the level of both in terms of the locker room culture, in terms of obviously now dealing with, you know, grown men and all the kind of cliche there, but also just the speed of the game. You're kind of concerned that, you know, my, you know, maybe he's a genius and he can get it done, but 
you know, we'd wonder how it happens there. Like, so, you know, there has been contrasting success for these kind of program building type coaches who've come in and they're kind of given complete control to kind of build a winning culture. Like the most recent example of that's Matt Rule um, in Carolina. We've seen some successes like Pete Carroll came from USC and, and has done really well with the Seahawks kind of building a, you know, a always compete type of college type environment. But we do know like people like Nick Saban back in the day didn't really succeed either. You know, people like Chip Kelly came in and while they had some success, uh, quickly flamed out. So, and he also has, you know, through his college level, some health issues that he, he is, is part of why he retired, but also part of why he retired is that there's been various um, scandals going on by the time he was leaving these college programs in Florida to talk about, you know, certain players being, you know, in his circle of trust and kind of other players being ignored and a lot of drugs and stuff going around the team and players getting suspended. In Ohio State, I believe one of his assistants, he is reported to have known that his one of his assistants was abusing his wife. Um, so he's not necessarily a completely clean hire, but the mm. people who follow college football, who, 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 who like do scouting and stuff like that, they rave about him as being a, you know, someone who wins, who just does everything possible um, to win games and that he can build a winning culture within these because he had so much success at the college level. So it's a major risk. Um, for Jacksonville but the name is a bright shiny name that's been associated with NFL jobs for what feels like a decade um, so it'll be really interesting to see where this goes but uh, certainly not the uh, lowest risk choice uh, for, for a coaching job in this case Yeah I mean it certainly comes across to me as a bit of a coup on the Jacksonville front you wouldn't have thought that they'd be capable of pulling in a name like this I mean it, uh, it seems long term it seems like the idea at least is that this is a long term build especially with Trevor Lawrence probably coming in um, as the quarterback, that there's there's kind of a this is you can almost think of it this is day one of the new Jacksonville, and now we can start again. And he might be given a year or two of really terrible records before he's expected to deliver in terms mm-hmm. of wins and playoff runs. So I mean, it, it's possibly it's it's the ideal spot for a college coach to go to a place where he's not expected to win straight away, but there is at least a nucleus that he can build a, a team around and make his own. And there isn't an awful lot of kind of pre-expectations in, in the sense that the team was pretty terrible before, so they, there are not a lot of things they want to retain um, going forward. So it, it, it has high upside and, and potentially, um, but as um, as Fitz said, it, it could, the, the transition from college to, to pro football doesn't always work that well, so it could just as easily uh, fall apart very quickly. Yeah, and of course, he, he'll have a very young roster. He's obviously going to get Trevor Lawrence almost certainly with the number one pick, and he was specifically cited Lawrence as a reason to take the job. So, you know, there's a chance it'll it'll have early results because you're dealing with players who are just out of college mostly. Um, but the long term, uh, like if, the, if it's a longer term project, you'd wonder about whether that might wear a bit uh, as those people want more money, more success and stuff like that. And you won't have level control over there, over them and, and respect that you can expect by default at the college level. Yeah, uh, the Jets have decided to hire San Francisco defense coordinator Robert Sala to be their head coach. He brings over the San Fran quarterback coach Michael Floor to be his offensive coordinator. So basically, importing the uh, San Francisco template on both defense and offense. Uh, Sala had a great 2019 defense. 2020, even with the injuries, they performed quite well. Um, like it seems like they're just kind of going for that build. Salad seems like a good hire. He was well respected around the league. Lafleur, his system tends to be, I, I, I believe, more friendly to the let's say less talented quarterbacks or more quarterback proof, and tends to get a lot of production out of the run game. So you'd imagine that this should work well for the New York Jets moving forward. Be able to bolster that defense while 
create a bit more of an accessible offensive system. Yeah, like Salah, he originally kind of came under um, Pete Carroll um, as a fairly low-level coach. He then went to Jacksonville under Gus Bradley, um, and obviously then went to San Francisco. And I think, you know, there was some initial teething issues in San Francisco because that's the hell the defense had kind of been figured out, but he has evolved and brought in lots of new wrinkles and stuff, and people are now generally very impressed with him. And by all accounts, players really loved him, um, and he's a very great motivator, um, and, and the, the TV cameras like him as well, uh, based on the last year or two. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, both the offensive scheme, like the, the Shanahan-style um, zone-blocking scheme, will tend to be... Uh, you know, rookie friendly. It tends to be one that like relies a lot on play action, about getting the run game going. So you know, you can see it can be even better than that if you have someone like Aaron Rodgers. But even if you have someone like Kirk Cousins level, you can see that those type of schemes can be successful. Or Baker Mayfield has had success in a scheme like that this year. So I think both of those go towards an execution over like an execution over you know complication type of approach you know this is about you know, making sure you have the ability to do the best you can on defense and offense and for a roster which is basically you know in, in need of a full refresh that's probably something that could lead to um early results hopefully um he seems like someone that people really like and really respect so you know it's just a matter of whether he can make the jump of being in control of the entire organization and being the uh you know having responsibility for everything in the building and, you know, we know the Jets, the history of that hasn't been great. So he's got a fair amount of work in his hands, but he'll certainly do his best, I imagine. Yeah, another set of hires that looks good on paper. And I like how kind of joined up it is that there's a clear vision there that we want to be San Francisco on both ends of the ball. And we're, and we're willing to, to put in place the personnel to work towards that. As Fitz says, the question with the Jets always is the the execution and the the management structure and the egos and all the problems that come with that the jets are not just a rotten organization on the field they also have problems um elsewhere in the organization so the, the question is can they turn that around Saleh, i mean i have a lot of time for him he's a very good uh, defensive coordinator and certainly seems to have a certain kind of leadership charisma certainly the, the san francisco defense seem to really like him as as a as their kind of as their boss so that that kind of bodes well for him being able to take over an organization and kind of mold it in his image yeah next up we have atlanta they've hired tennessee offensive coordinator arthur smith to be their head coach uh, he's 38 year old after a couple of years at oc kind of big jump for him but there's questions about what they're going to do are they going to keep matt ryan julio jones and all those people in place or are they going to try and you know burn it down and try and start again in a different way. Um, it's an interesting one because the Tennessee offense is probably known for getting production out of lesser uh, skill-leveled passers. Like, you know, I would I would think of Matt Ryan on paper as being a better quarterback than they had in Tannehill and the run game being less good. So maybe it is an identity change in Atlanta, but like I don't see the direct transfer between that Tennessee offense and the Atlanta offense that they've currently got with a wide receiver one and a high-end passer. Yeah, I mean, this is... I don't know about this one. This is a bit risky to me. I mean, Artis Smith has built a good offense, but you have to wonder how much of that is, is being built around the fact that they have the best running back in the league and therefore that the the passing offense that they had could could exploit the opportunities that were raised um, there. Certainly you're right in the sense that Matt Ryan, although he is, I mean, he is aging a little bit at this point and hasn't really produced um, mm -hmm. in a number of years, is on paper better than Tannehill. But Tannehill is, has really shown himself to be able to take that next step up. 
the question is, does, at this stage of his career, does Ryan have the ability to, say, reinvent himself or, or, or to, to do that? So I think there is a lot of work here. This isn't a, a situation that can just be solved by bringing an offensively exciting um, head coach. There's a lot of work to be done. I still think it might be in Atlanta's best interest to get rid of Ryan and start uh, over um, again with the kind of the trade value they, they can get from getting rid of a veteran of that kind of quality. So I, I'm just, I have a feeling that this one may be less successful in the long run because I don't quite see the kind of joined up thinking that you might be getting from the Jacksonville and the, the Jets hires. Yeah, and like all the noise that's coming from Atlanta is that this is a, they are going for the continuity route, that they believe they have enough talent that they can compete um, with Ryan, with Julio Jones uh, and the rest. I think with Arthur Smith and, and the new GM that we'll talk about in a moment, um, I think the emphasis will be getting in uh, offensive linemen and probably looking to refresh that running back group uh, significantly because Gurley just isn't capable of, of being a, a dominant running back these days. Um, and I think you know if they can do that successfully, then the Arthur Smith template for offense based around play action, based around uh, zone blocking running, uh, basically a Shanahan type scheme. We saw Matt Ryan have an MVP with you know uh, the younger Shanahan um, as offensive coordinator he had success with it. he should be familiar with it even though Arthur Smith isn't technically directly from that tree he runs a very similar scheme so I can see the theory but as Sean says we, we, we'd have to wonder whether they can get the talent in on the offense to put that into practice successfully Detroit have hired New Orleans assistant head coach and tight end coach Dan Campbell to be their head coach um, former Detroit player he's seen as a players coach that guy he looks exactly like PC principal from the uh, South Park <laughs> episodes um, he gets good praise from from Peyton and Parcells and a few other people he had a brief interim head coach job with the Miami back in 2015 where he went five and seven um, like I I don't know enough about this guy to know how much he was involved in the scheming and all that kind of stuff like um, New Orleans have had good tight ends, I suppose, for a while. Good performance out of them. Um, I yeah, I, I don't I don't really know what to make of this one because I, I find it very hard to figure out what an assisted head coach and a tight ends coach how much input they had when the Saints had such a dominant head coach that I think was controlling the majority of the stuff that was going on. Yeah, like this feels like a, a whiplash hire, you know, where you kind of go for the opposite of what you had. Obviously, Matt Patricia did not get on with his players. Um, kind of like to be seen as a kind of whiz kid, you know, an X's and O's type of guy who understood defense because he's a rocket scientist and has a pencil behind his ear and all the other mm. hilarious things um, that, you know, probably should have been warning signs. Um, whereas Dan Campbell, he has never been a coordinator um, at any level, NFL or college. Um, so literally is just a coach, uh, doesn't scheme up stuff, just hasn't done any of that kind of stuff, um, but is very well respected and very well liked both by players who, who have, you know, trained under him, um, but also the coaches that he's been associated with, you know, people like Sean Payton in New Orleans, Bill Parcells, obviously, you know, a Hall of Fame uh, coach who he's had experience with both playing and uh, as a coach. So, you know, obviously people see something in him in terms of his leadership potential, in terms of his personality. Um, it wasn't really enough to do much in Miami, though, to be fair, that was a team that was uh, had one win uh, by the time that Joe Philbin was fired. So, maybe bit of a, a hard to do anything in that situation so you know what will be really important for him is like who he chooses to bring in to be his coordinators because they're going to be in contrast to most of the hires that we see these days they're going to have a lot of control and power to implement um the kind of schemes that they want to do so you know given that maybe he can get some really you know uh high up names to kind of join them there but 
you know, in Detroit, similar to Atlanta, we've talked about this. You know, your, your first big question is, is Matt Stafford the future of the franchise? And I think everything after that will, will fall depending on how, what they choose to do there. But, you know, yeah, I think we don't really know enough about him. We don't know what his kind of scheme approach is. Um, so it's all about that personality, apparently, that they brought him in. Yeah, I, I'd be with Fitz on this. It's the, it's the team that they build around him that's going to be crucial here. This is a big step up. Um, I mean, to not have been a... I mean, okay, he's had an interim head coach spell, but to not have been a coordinator anywhere, seems like he's jumping up a few levels. If it is about kind of trying to appease a particular locker room culture that they didn't like the last coach, that I suppose makes sense. But in terms of actually getting wins on the board, you do need to be able to have a vision of what you are as a team, an identity, a sense of the kind of plays you want to run in offense and defense. So I think the coordinator is going to be very big. In, in terms of how Detroit get, so it's kind of a maybe a blank slate upon which some ambitious offensive or defense coordinator can maybe impose their vision. Mm. And the Chargers have decided uh, to hire Brandon Staley, the Lally Rams defensive coordinator, as their head coach. He had the top defense in the league. Uh, this was his first year as a defensive coordinator, and is obviously getting the McVay young person hype kind of thing. But on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the problem with this is obviously, look, it's a very high expectation team you're landing into because they have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. They need to pick an offensive coordinator because Herbert had played at an exceptionally good level in his first year and it's his development that they need to set up. Um, like, I, I, I like when teams do this and kind of go for young guys, but like, it's not, not, not dissimilar to some of the questions over Arthur Smith. Like, the LA Rams have a very, very good defense they have the best player in the league on their line and then they've also got probably the best or top two cornerback as well like they have very specific personnel to run a system now the 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 chargers do have good defensive players they've got a a nice line they've got some good edge pieces like i just i i don't i don't know if you can say a guy who inherits a top tier defense and then it stays a top tier defense for a year is enough of a CV for me to go, man, yeah, he did a lot there. I think we can really see him, you know, right our ship. Yeah, I mean, the, if you want to talk about the vision thing, this is a little bit of a strange one in the sense that you'd probably, given where Herbert is in his development, it would probably be good to have had maybe an offensively minded head coach that they could start to kind of build a relationship and he could develop him along. Instead, what seems to be happening is that the management have gone for kind of a defensive focus in the head coach and then, I mean, presumably some offensive quarter comes in to help with Herbert. So I don't know if that's when your star asset is on the offensive side to build your coaching system around the defensive side. I don't know if that makes an awful lot of sense. That said, the defense does have some talent that it'll have to, to, to work with. I mean, it's certainly good for Staley himself because he doesn't have to move cities, which is probably going to be quite uh, helpful. Um, I do wonder about this McVeigh thing. I think there's been a number of kind of young coaching hires of late on the basis of that these could be the next Sean McVay when in reality more likely that McVay was an outlier in terms of that and that you'd rather maybe have someone with experience. I mean these are all gambles and these kinds of gambles inevitably as many of them are going to fail as turn into Sean McVay. I mean just that the odds are maybe against this being um, a massive success. So maybe it'll all be very complimentary and it'll work out very well uh, but at the same time you can already see the disjointedness of it see the reasons why it might not succeed um, as well as they might hope yeah but like look like that the people who are picking him up right now they're all saying that he has that mcveigh level of you know understanding of the game that kind of you know extra level of 
um, I suppose motivation and that players love him like all the you know Rams players and players who played under him in Denver where he's linebackers coach have all talked about that he's a great player I think you know it, obviously the choice of offensive coordinator will be huge because he's obviously not going to have any real understanding of that um, you know McVeigh is from the um, Shanahan tree um, to some extent so it's another but like there's so many of those guys right now being hired across the league I don't know who's going to be left for him um, so yeah I think with Herbert's development at stake at the moment it's I'm not, but obviously they're thinking he's a smart guy um, he can get this defense going take the pressure off Herbert and you know get someone in um, and that Herbert will I think, not take care of itself but you know that 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 you know he's talented enough that you know he should be able to, to continue his even if there's like some teething pains but like yeah like look uh, you know McVeigh what he did so quickly People are always going to reach for that um, for whatever reason, so it's not surprising someone's done the, someone's taking the chance here on a guy who has that type of reputation, uh, you know, given what I mean, he did in one yeah. year. I mean, I, can, I suppose I can see the logic that you talk about this idea of taking the pressure off. I mean, I, I'm struck to mind, when I, when I saw this balance, my mind came to the Belichick-Brady situation where in his early years, Belichick was a defensive guru, and that defense was strong enough that then Tom Brady, as a developing quarterback, didn't have to be kind of the superstar straight out of the gate. He could, which he just kind of learned the offense and got good. So I can see it, I guess, in that kind of uh, logic. But at the same time, I, I think I'd want uh, an offensive head coach to kind of guide him through the process. Um, I think there, there's as many upsides to that kind of philosophy as well. Yeah, I think that there is rumors that they might just keep the current OC Shane Steichen. Um, so I suppose if they believe the offense isn't the problem and or not not that it's fine and like this suits Herbert, then they could stick with that stick with him if they want. And you know maybe that would be would be an option there in that case, perhaps. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, in terms of back office hires, Denver have hired Minnesota assistant GM George Patton to be their GM. Carolina picked up the Seattle VP of football operations to be theirs. Detroit have picked up the Rams director of college scouting, Brad Holmes, to be their guy. Um, they also, the Rams get two compensatory picks for that new uh, minority hiring rule. Atlanta have picked up New Orleans director of pro scouting, Terry Fontenot, to be their GM. And uh, Washington have hired Marty Hurdy uh, to be their GM. Obviously, he'd worked with Rivera, Ron Rivera in uh, Carolina. Uh, any of those jump out to you at all? or? Yeah, like uh, I think Marty Herney is probably the one that, that that you'll probably have the most basically because he has a record that you you can defend or not. He had a reputation as being someone who um, is kind of old school when he was fired or well not basically not renewed by the Carolina Panthers. They talked about it as being a you know didn't fit with the analytics type approach they want to have there now. But of course, you know he has a previous relationship with Ron Rivera. They're good friends uh, by all accounts, and for me it makes sense. Like Washington is a it's a viper's nest by all accounts due to the completely inept ownership structure. Um, so I think having, you know, if Ron Rivera is basically being, you know, put in charge of the entire organization and keeping it, you know, on a somewhat level keel, then it makes sense to get someone in that you trust mm. and who, you know, will you know defend you and work with you to ensure that, you know, the bad people, as many of them still exist, aren't, don't allow, aren't allowed to snake their way back into uh, positions of, of power again, except for the owner who will be there. But, you know, basically, if you're trying to minimize the power of the owner, bring in a GM who you respect and are friends with so you can be a, you know, vote, not I'd vote them, but, you know, be a block against them. Um, the rest of these hires, um, you know, Fontenot, Fitterer and Patton for, are all people who've worked their way up through their organizations. They have over a decade of experience within their respective team and they're all 
pretty well respected by all accounts. I think, as mentioned, the Atlanta one, Fontenot, is probably the most interesting because of the big decision over Matt Ryan. As I said, the reports are that they'll be uh, probably sticking with Ryan. And then for Detroit, that's probably the only one that kind of came out of the uh, blue. He's a younger uh, GM candidate, um, obviously African-American as well. Um, so obviously they're going for a more, I suppose, dynamic, risky play there. Um, but the rest of these guys have a lot of experience that they're kind of considered safe enough bets. Um, and in most of these cases, you're looking at a team where the coach will have a lot of say over what's happening regardless. Yeah, we had a couple more uh, spots come up onto the market. Uh, Seattle have decided to fire offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, they cite a philosophical difference, which uh, we all read as being that Carroll wants to run the ball. He's sick of Russ cooking. Yeah, run, 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 run. And then, of course, like, like Seattle have already been interviewing some, uh, basically all the four fired coaches. So they, Doug Pedersen, they've been talking to. Uh, Adam, Adam Gase, Gase. Be talking to God <laughs> damn it, please no. Um, and uh, Anthony Lynn um, was also has also been talked about. Like, it, like I'm obviously you know let Russ cook. Like I know it didn't end up working out in the end, but I think it is ridiculous to kind of not have a short inter- like to basically not have a short passing game or rely on the run over it too much. Mm. Um, but Pete Carroll likes to play football a certain way, so. He's got so much control in the organization, I imagine he'll get his way regardless. <laughs> Chicago have decided after their uh, flame out in the playoffs where you know their defense played excellently and their offense did absolutely nothing to allow Chuck Pagano to retire. Their defensive coordinator who had their defense playing at an exceptionally high level uh, is now gone. So the one part of the ball that worked for Chicago uh, is now thrown into turmoil. So that's that's a positive. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> this this is very weird, strange decision to make. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Bears they were barely good enough to make the playoffs this year without the. I mean, it depends if they get in some whiskey who can work their magic with what is a kind of offense, a talent, kind of surplus. I guess you'd call it a defense. Then maybe, but certainly it seems strange to let the one part of the machine that's actually working to, to fall apart and have to rebuild all over again because just as easily it, it could be a disaster um, next season yeah pittsburgh have allowed offense coordinator randy fitcher's contract to expire he's not expected to be back with the team obviously look they've won 11 games this season but uh the offense never truly looked like it was clicking their run game never really happened and they were going for a finesse pass game that just didn't really work so that makes sense given their current situation as well where they probably are still using uh, Ben Roethlisberger next year just because of his bizarre contract. Um, yeah, like the, the the system they had in place wasn't going to work for them, particularly if he is their QB one, right? Yeah, like they've they've gone through offensive corners in the past, and yeah, as long as Big Ben is there, that kind of both limits and gives you an idea of what you can and can't do. And I imagine that they'll they'll get someone in, but like I think it'll you know still be Tomlin. Most of the stuff is going through in terms of the overall philosophy. Yeah, and uh, COVID-19, there was cases in New Orleans and Green Bay, but no impact on the schedule. Uh, yeah, we'll have, very, uh, very unfortunate. The the fun story at last last week, Jared Vildier being the first player to play on two playoff teams. Oh, he yeah, got pulled because he, he caught the COVID, right? Yeah, very sad. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, in terms of injuries, Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes has two injuries. He had a toe injury that he picked up early in the game and then a suspected concussion. He's currently week to week. Uh, the only update we have at the moment on the concussion protocol because there's, there's 
questions about whether or not he has a concussion, but we know that he's passed the first two days of the concussion protocol or the first two steps. <coughs> Sorry. And cornerback Brashad Breland has a concussion. He is also week to week. Um, so obviously this is a huge impact uh, on the game. We'll, we'll talk about it in more detail, but moving forward, like the Chiefs need Mahomes to be playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I mean, we can talk about it in terms of the previews next week. I don't know if it's fatal to their chances of beating the Bills. It certainly decreases significantly their chances of beating the Bills. Mahomes isn't playing. Although, I mean, that said, it depends what, what state he's in. That toe injury did seem to be affecting him in, in the game um, uh, at the yeah. weekend there. So even if it's even if he's back from the concussion, the other part of the problem may limit his ability. Certainly, I mean, he's the best player in the league, so you don't want to lose you don't want to lose him. But I wonder if the coaching we can talk about it later. The coaching genius may be enough to pull them through. But but I, in an ideal world, certainly they don't. They're not saying they're saying that's a, that's a nightmare scenario. Yeah, as you yeah, said. And it was, it was a very concerning looking injury on the field. Like he did basically, you know, he was stumbling around and Yeah, he needed know, even though, two guys to pick him up so he couldn't stand yeah, up or walk. Like. Even though it doesn't seem to have been a direct head impact, I suppose the, the traditional way in inverted commas to get a, a concussion, it you know, it still has to be very concerning. Um just to the like, you know, I'm sure it's something that probably is fine, but uh it's just, you know, you want to keep an eye on it, I'm sure, and the team is. Yeah, and also Brashad Breland is a bit of a hit to a cornerback group that doesn't have a lot of depth in it at the moment. They're getting some performances out of first and second year players at the moment, but they kind of need rotational depth there because they don't have the top end talent. Uh, Green Bay running back AJ Dillon's injured, caught, and he's week to week for them. Um, we'll discuss the Green Bay run game and the success they're having with it, but they seem to have multiple players now that they're able to rotate in and out of there. Yeah, yeah, like Aaron Jones is obviously the lead running back. They have Jamal Williams, so even if he misses the game, they'll be fine. Dylan's more of a, a stocky kind of player and probably is the future of the team because they drafted him early uh, in the draft this year. Mm. But, you know, I think for now, Aaron Jones is the, the best running back on the team, so I don't think it'll be a big issue that they, if he doesn't play. Yeah, uh, Baltimore have cut Mark Ingram, the running back in QB RG3. For Mark Ingram, there was a nice uh, parting of ways. Uh, he was thanking the team for it. They're letting him get a jump start on free agency so he can try and take a look at it. Uh, for RG3, I, to be honest, I could well see them just like bringing him back afterwards that there's some kind of cap stuff that they're doing on the moment. Because he seems to, like while he's not great, he kind of works as a backup for them and probably works very well in the scout team to let defenses practice against them, you know? Yeah, I think that, like they saw some. I think some decent play from the the rookies they brought in, like uh, both of them. So I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't happen either. But like I think Orgy Three probably will get picked up somewhere as a backup as a cheap option. But yeah, Mark Ingram, um, because of the way the free agency rules work, if you're released by your team, you can get signed before the free agency window opens. So that should give him an opportunity to have his pick of teams to kind of go to and mm. as a veteran running back he obviously has value in terms of his production but also as a mentor if you have a, a young running back you want to kind of up, kind of get up to scream by all accounts he's supposed to be a really good locker room presence mm. yeah i mean it, it's interesting i just don't know how many lamar or lamar style quarterbacks that the ravens have they always seem every week to pull out another uh you know running fast quarterback from from their um there from their from their squad so i mean maybe rg3 is just surplus to requirements now that is it huntley i think his, his name was just the guy who came in last That's week and, and looked looked quite good looked quite good at imitating lamar which the entire offense is built around and uh, 
And in terms of Ingram, I mean, he kind of lost his place in the pecking order as the season went along. I think the, the running game is going to be built more around Dobbins now going forward, and obviously with Lamar being a big part of that run game as well. So Ingram didn't really, I think, had a... It went from being a run-by-committee to being a run-by-committee, but really Dobbins is the one getting most of the touches. So mm. I think Ingram's time at Baltimore just came to a natural end there. Yeah, uh, so we'll see what happens. Does that mean that Ingram is now... Is, that they've given up right to, like, he could he could sign with, like, a Green Bay and play next week? Uh, I don't know. Probably, possibly, but... Uh... Uh, I think I'm mostly talking about when the season is over in terms of him. Yeah, yeah, but I think in theory, yeah, he could sign for a team left. But I don't, I, you know, I don't think that's likely to happen unless you know three running backs go down for some team or something. Hey, look, if if Mahomes is out, we might just need a three-headed monster at running back to <laughs> to, to take on the bill. Um, Denver, what uh, next up? Crime punishment. What do they do? Probably felonies. Uh, linebacker Von Miller is, is under criminal investigation, and we don't know what for. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's actually the news story. Um, it's been confirmed that the local police department are investigating him, but they won't give us any details about it yet. So I'm sure we'll hear loads about this over the offseason. Who, do you want to speculate wildly? Uh, yeah, I'm convinced he's the head of a drug gang that has been investigated by the FBI for at least 15 years at this stage. And this is finally that the, the circle is closed on him and they finally got their man. And there will be a... Uh, like a, a three-hour movie about Von Miller, drug king, in, in about five years time. Okay. Von yeah. Miller or Don Miller? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> ah, I like it. Uh, <laughs> Look, mine there, is are, that... there are rumors and stuff out there, but they're being denied by people right now, so um, we can probably wait till something will come out eventually, probably, if something actually happens here, uh, if they take it any further. My guess is that... Uh, he it, it it's a it's a copyright infringement case and it's to do with his construction agency called Miller Lights and they are being sued. Uh, oh, controversy controversy corner reports that Houston quarterback Deshaun Watson, who you know he's in such a lovely situation and a team that has done everything they can to build it around him, uh, that he just wants out. He's unhappy with the owner, Cal McNair, due to organizational disarray and disrespect. Um, Jack Easterby issues, them getting rid of any wide receivers off the team, them mortgaging their future and getting rid of picks and all that kind of stuff. Basically, I completely understand why he just wants out. Uh, the problem is always going to be finding some finding someone to take them and find it, finding a way to convince particularly a new GM that it's a good idea that your first move is to get rid of a franchise quarterback. Yeah, like at the moment, like teams are already ringing them up. Reports have already come out of that. Mm. And they're saying, no, 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 it's, it's fine. Um, but all the reports presumably coming directly from Watson's camper that he's basically like fucking really annoyed. Um, and that, you know, there was already like someone asking him like if they fire... Jack Easterby, the, the Svengali figure in, in this particular drama, would that be enough? And basically he went, words to the effect of, no, they need to fire Cal McNair, the owner, um, but they're not going to fire Cal McNair. So that would suggest that Watson right now does not see this as a tractable problem. But of course we know, unless he's willing to take this all the way, uh, like Carson Palmer did back in the day, um, then you know I don't know if necessarily it'll make much of a difference. So... For Watson, right now, he seems to be ready to do what's required to get out of Houston, but he's going to need to keep that up for a while, and the team, as you said, needs to come in with a really good offer. Um, otherwise, you can still see Watson playing for Houston next year, no matter what he thinks um, he would or wouldn't do at the moment. 
I mean, I just think that surely Houston, I mean, they're, they're a terrible organization, but surely they will see Watson's trade value and how, many, how much they can get, especially since they're so short on draft picks going forward. That versus the potential of him sitting on his or playing at 60% or whatever next season. I mean, unless this gets rectified very quickly, I think that the Texans need to move and, and give him what he wants because there are teams that will want him. There are teams that will give a lot of a lot of valuable things in exchange for him. And there, there's a way this can still become somewhat win-win. I mean, I don't think Houston really win. But yeah. um, the scenario of him sitting on the sidelines next season is... Yeah, that's just going to make the Texans situation a thousand times more toxic than it currently is. Yeah, and like the problem is, what is what is? There's no inherent value in a franchise quarterback. Like if you've got a forty million dollar quarterback who you're paying forty million dollars to, but you don't have wide receivers, you don't have blocking, you don't have defense. If you're not competitive, then what's the point in having a forty five million dollar quarterback? It doesn't make any sense. Um, so what's the, what's the value in not having a franchise quarterback? Ask the you know sixteen to twenty teams in the NFL who are desperate to get one right now. So uh, I suppose, but like it's you know, I, I I don't know if you can't win with the franchise quarterback, then you probably need to look at a blow up and start it again kind of situation. But I know that it's you know how how do you let go of uh, of the franchise quarterback once you've got them in house already? Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be a tough one for them. Sure. Look, we'll go and take a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have Rams at Green Bay, 18-32. to 32. Uh, The Green Bay offense just absolutely dominated this game with strong running, as we mentioned in the uh, earlier section. 188 yards, 5.2 per carry. Jones has nearly 100 of it, and Rodgers was doing a lot of play-action kind of pass setup. He had nearly 300 yards and two touchdowns. The this Rams defense that, you know, was the best in the league, had zero turnovers and zero sacks and didn't do anything. Goff was his bland, mediocre self, 174 and a touchdown. Um, yeah, like, it was just, just nothing. Like, Green Bay only got, I think, four sacks on them. But, like, it was just it was just Rodgers all day. Uh, there's a brilliant moment where you see him call his shot to Alan Lazard. He just goes, Alan, Alan, looks at him, and then just goes, okay, and just throws him open for a touchdown. Um yeah, like there was no stopping him. This was a comeback in, to, like for Green Bay, just coming back onto people's televisions and going, I know we've been gone for a week or so, but don't forget how good we actually are. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the story is just that the, the difference here is that the the Packers have the, the almost unformed quarterback in the league. I mean, Rodgers is really getting into his groove now, and the Rams on the other side just don't have a, a functional offense anymore, and they're kind of their big star. Um, Donald was was so far because of injury and, and that hurt them. For for Rogers now, this is the big one. This is be this will be his first NFC Championship game um, in Lambeau, which is a very strange stat after whatever 12, 13 years of being um, competitive at the top level that he's never actually had a home NFC Championship game yet. This is his big chance to consolidate his legacy. He probably needs that second Super Bowl to really put him over the top. This season is definitely putting him into into kind of icon. Icon mode. We only have to think to, to Peyton Manning and the way that his inability to get the the second Super Bowl kind of tarnished his legacy somewhat. So this is Rogers' chance, especially say if Mahomes is is not at 100. percent Then suddenly the entire Super Bowl field opens up for the Packers um, to win. From the Rams' side of it, yeah, obviously the loss of Donald is is huge. He just wasn't at the level that he needed to be, and that hurts the Rams. It does tarnish somewhat this legacy of the Rams as this superb defense that without their their best piece they just couldn't step up to the big challenge this was a high functioning 
a high-profile um, offense that they were expected to, to go toe-to-toe with, and they just didn't. Um, so that is something that they're going to have to stew over in the offseason. Are they really as good as the numbers suggest? And on the offensive end, I mean, they're just not competitive. In, in the preview last week, I talked about how the Rams, no matter how good their defense was, the problem was that the offense just wasn't going to score enough points to keep pace with the Packers. And that's what happened in this game. The Packers, I mean, they, they were better perhaps than we expected against the Rams defense, but they also they just scored enough points and the Rams just couldn't keep pace. There are some rumors that, that Sean McVay has stopped being even diplomatic about the, 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 the golf situation and he may be punted um, as far away from um, the stadium as, as possible. Uh, the next opportunity so the rams may be beginning a, a new process certainly it must be incredibly frustrating to have a team that is as talented as let down by the fact that your quarterback is, is just a bit shit yeah like i think for the rams a lot of questions and sean mcveigh was not very committal uh i think people were talking about them needing uh, marriage uh, some therapy uh, marriage counseling to kind of get through what they're doing I think if the Rams can find uh, an upgraded quarterback, they will take the opportunity if it becomes available. Um, but, you know, given quarterbacks aren't exactly, you know, just growing on trees, uh, we'll see if that comes to pass. And, yeah, obviously with Donald Limited, you could tell that this defense took a step down. But, you know, they they still clamped down on Seattle last week without Donald. So the fact that Green Bay were able to effectively dominate them all game, nearly 500 yards, like, you know, Brandon Staley is probably pretty thankful that this wasn't the... Like this, this wasn't like coming up during the interviews. Um, the, but like you know, it was just a situation where the Green Bay offense just did what it needed at will. Like it obviously, it kind of built up over time. It did a lot of running and short passes early on to basically you know show control uh, and basically kind of stop the the Rams team from pressing up on them and being aggressive. But then as the game wore on, you just had you know like Aaron Rodgers having these you know, uh, play action plays and just kind of orchestrating the whole thing. Um, like, I think, you know, I think like the Move to Sticks uh, podcast um, talk a lot about the fact that this this scheme from Lafleur, obviously, uh, I mentioned every podcast, the Shanahan type scheme, it is a quarterback friendly scheme. It creates players who are open. We've seen that with San Francisco, for example. But the difference of when you put, you know, like a Jimmy Garoppolo in then, who you know was fine and effective, or Kirk Cousins, but then you put in a Hall of Fame virtuoso like Aaron Rodgers, and he just having, he just looks like he's having the time of his life because it's not like like at the end of the McCarthy era where he had to, he had to do everything himself and try to extract explosive plays from nothing. The whole thing works for him to do as you say like those plays Alan Lazar just set up the whole thing see the entire field get back to you know taking snaps quickly to catch defensive guys trying to get off the field he just looks like incomplete having this scheme kind of built around him and him being able to just kind of do what he's best at which is you know reading the game making you know absolutely ridiculous throws and runs and moves and just having fun out there it just has just been such a huge leap and um, not over over the mccarthy era but even over the first year he just genuinely seems to be at the top of his game within this so if you contrast that to something like tom brady where he needs to be in control of everything i think it's almost like rogers you know some of the controls be taken off him things are just working without him necessarily having to do everything uh, but that means that when he does get involved he's just doing some of the best work in his entire career yeah, I know it's pretty pretty remarkable looking stuff from the the Rams looking a little bit I say a little bit, a lot a lot of bit outclassed. Uh, Baltimore at Buffalo three to seventeen. This is a defensive showdown for the ages. It was three three at the half. Uh, the weather was terrible, so we saw Justin Tucker miss two field goals. Suck it, Tucker. Um, 
Yeah. And the other <laughs> are also missed two field goals, so, you know, let's go. Yeah, I know, but that one doesn't claim to be the best in the league. Um, but, yeah, so it was... Uh, Two, uh, two, 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 two scores in the uh, third quarter kind of put the end of this game. Josh Allen had 200 yards and a touchdown. Diggs, 100 of those and the touchdown. And uh, Lamar had 196 and an interception. The big play, obviously, in this game, uh, if you've seen the highlights, is the red zone pick six, 101 yards going back the other way. Uh, it kind of swung the game entirely. And then we saw Lamar then getting concussed on a bad snap. Uh, Josh, there's a couple of bad snaps this week, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, like it was both teams, to be fair to them, and I, I, on, on my initial watching, I was just, I was a bit kind of like, oh, should the, the offense are doing nothing, but this was good performances from the defenses as well as there being some, some mistakes on the offenses. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was still a tough watch, to be honest. It wasn't overly exciting. There was good parts to it and everything, and there was some nice blitzing and a few bits like that, but. Yeah, just 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 nothing. Like um, I think we were discussing during it that like what the Buffalo seemed to do some interesting bits on the uh, defensively in this game where they were kind of they were stuffing all the gaps up front and rather than dropping a load of DBs like had been done previously to slow down Baltimore, they were just saying no, we'll just we'll just kind of fill fill up your A and B gaps and if you have to go, you have to go outside and we'll put a container on either side because uh, we don't think you can pass and we don't think we need extra men to stop your passing. Yeah, and like if you if you look at the replays and you look at the game, they were you know Hollywood Brown actually had a pretty good game here. I think he, he wasn't quite a hundred yards, but he was doing pretty well. But there were a, a, you know a couple of other opportunities. Um, one when Tyler Huntley was in the fourth quarter, probably the most egregious. But even when Lamar was playing, where he he was for NFL level completely wide open, and he could have had a, another monster game like he's had in the playoffs in previous um, tilts. But obviously Buffalo took the calculated risk that in the windy conditions and given the passing limitations that we know uh, Lamar Jackson has, that that was a risk worth taking and that they were better off um, either like playing in their base defense to shut down the run game um, and also blitzing uh, especially corner blitzes, which obviously is risky against an elite pass, like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes eat those for breakfast, but Lamar was genuinely unsettled by them, wasn't able to react in time, and they got a couple of sacks off, off those corner blitzes. So it's definitely a situation where Buffalo, you know, they schemed up to beat what was in front of them, and they came in with a very uh, effective plan um, and weren't punished for perhaps some of the things that could have happened against a different quarterback. So I think, you know, they adjusted, they went to base defense when they've been mostly nickel defense so i think you know once again if you're a baltimore fan you're kind of going every like you know they got a playoff win this year great but once again they've got into you know a playoff game and have been out schemed on the defense they have been figured out and when that's happened they just haven't had a you know second or third answer to go to to kind of continue to grind things out and i think you just you know as a baltimore fan you're just going to continuously get gas like what does this team have a super bowl ceiling or is it simply always going to be a really effective regular season team but not a you know team when it goes up against the very best can get the job done um and look lamar you know, it wasn't helped that, you know, the snaps were bad all day. You know, we got concussed on the final one of those near the end of the third quarter, but there was multiple other snaps that were either over his head or, or to the side and basically disrupted the entire 
um, uh, the entire rhythm of the offense. And so, yeah, it was just, just a bad day all around for Baltimore, including, obviously, as you mentioned, Justin Tucker's um, inaccuracy. But it wasn't a great game for Buffalo either. They were kept one-dimensional. They only rushed nine times in this game. They went, okay, Josh Allen, it, it's, it's windy as hell out there. Go and win us the game. And while they did win the game, you know, it's just about only 200 yards, 100 of those going to digs. And really, that connection is the only saving grace that they had as an offense. They were just very stop-start. They couldn't get it going. And you kind of saw, if you if you want to pass the ball that much, that's what you're going to get. A lot of short drives that don't really go anywhere, but you get enough explosive plays and hope that you put the points in them. And yeah, if, if that pick six hadn't have happened, like, you know, it could have been a very different game. But, you know, Buffalo, they get away with it in, in tough conditions. They kind of get over their nerves once again. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the defensive, you know, defense, which has kind of been a bit maligned this year, as kind of underperforming, showed up in a big way and got the job done for them. So on to the AFC Championship. And, you know, I think we can, I definitely think that against, um, in better conditions and against you know the defenses that are left mostly uh, we can see the buffalo explosive passing offense come back uh, uh, before the season is over yeah i mean the, the big story of, of this game for me is the, the the quality of the performance from the the buffalo defense i mean it's important to emphasize that these these gusting wins that they were taking play they play havoc with the kicking game and we saw the problems with the kicking game you know it's bad when justin tucker is missing kicks and connor he doesn't say that he's the best kicker uh, in the NFL, he is statistically the best kicker in NFL history. So I think you need to give the man a bit of respect. He's he's missed he's, been, he, he's 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 missed seven kicks in the last five weeks. The number one kicker, he's he's not in the he's best done. Available. He's done. <laughs> he's a bum. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we'll see, we'll see. He'll be back next year, and he'll be kicking them from seventy-five yards away, just to prove you wrong. Um, but yeah, to, to, to focus back on this again, so the kicking and passing games become more difficult in windy conditions. It's given that the Bills were a pass-heavy offense, but the Ravens are a run-heavy offense, means that there's a natural asymmetry there in terms of how the, the weather sets up the game. That combined with the fact that the Buffalo defense, in terms of talent, probably just doesn't have the same level of talent as the Ravens defense. The Bills had all the excuses if they lost this game, if they lost this game, people will go, okay, we understood why the game was lost because the weather conditions didn't allow you to play your game. It allowed the Ravens to play their game, so therefore it's disappointing, but it's understandable. And yet, instead, what we got was that the, this build defense held the Ravens to three points, which was just a, an incredible performance. The Ravens on their first drive were making a lot of progress um, on the run, but then the Bills defense adjusted incredibly quickly and controlled the game. And from that point onwards, the Ravens didn't really have anything and going along. Um, as was mentioned, they were a little bit risky in terms of their pass defense, and there's questions about whether or not that would work against any other kinds um, of quarterback. The, the mid-range slot pass was always open. I think Willie Sneed, I think, would play the entire game basically being, being open, but the, the blitzing scheme of the Bills never really gave Lamar enough time to get those passes out. Against a better quarterback, um, that kind of scheming probably isn't going to, to work out all that well. For you, it wasn't a tremendous performance by Buffalo, particularly on the offensive end. But they, the important thing is they got it done, and they got it done in a situation in which the conditions suggested they should have lost that game. Um, so it's questionable if they really have the ability to take it to KC next week on the on the basis of this performance. But for the situation they were in, it is a, a marquee performance by the Bills, especially on the defensive end. So next up, Cleveland at Kansas City, 17-22. to 22. Uh, Chad Honey had a 13-yard scramble and then a fourth-and-one pass out of shotgun to uh, 
kind of salt away the game and finish it up. Mahomes at 255 yards and a touchdown and was kind of tearing it up before he got concussed early in the third quarter. Uh, they were up 16-3 to at that point. Um, it was a pretty comprehensive-looking performance from the Chiefs up to that point, particularly the defense had been playing very well in shutting down Cleveland. Uh, there was a very tough moment for Cleveland that was uh, essentially a 10-point swing where uh, they fumbled out the back of the end zone for a touchback in what is still the most ridiculous uh, rule left in the NFL, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the Kansas City don't convert it, but they managed to get a field goal off the back of it, uh, and that kind of went it could have been 10 to 13 instead of 16 to 3 kind of thing in the half uh but yeah this was overall a good performance surprisingly happy with the performance of Henny. he threw an absolute duck of an interception which was terrible but i liked that they were being <laughs> aggressive with him they let him play downfield and they went for it on the fourth down if they got the because they got the right look and everything baker held 204 yards a touchdown interception the run game had 5.1 per carry but they, they just couldn't play that type of game against the Chiefs that were ahead. Like, I believe at one point they gained 12 yards on a four and a half minutes of game clock. And you just can't be doing that when you're playing from behind. It was, uh, there was, there was a couple, the couple of management mistakes from the Browns towards the back end of this. And I think that they will be kicking themselves, but you know, this is a good team, a good nucleus. And I can't imagine this is their last trip into the uh, postseason. Yeah, this was just one of those classic NFL playoff games where you kind of turn your analysis hat off and you just sit back and you enjoy it. You enjoy the drama and the intrigue and the big moments. And unless you're a fan of one of the two teams involved, you have a thoroughly great time enjoying it. If you are a fan, Connor, I'm sure that you're having multiple heart attacks. <laughs> it was uh... a Mostly fear for Mahomes' ability to uh, be our (laughs) franchise quarterback in future years, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, the, I mean, obviously, the the big question going forward is is the state of Mahomes and his um, his ability to play the rest of the season and and how any injury might affect him going forward. But I mean, there there was a clear talent differential here, and I, I think it was quite obvious that Casey were much the better team especially the KC offense against the Cleveland defense early was, there was a bit of a, a mismatch there. They were being essentially allowed to do whatever they want. The defense really struggled to contain Mahomes at all. He had all the kind of mid-range passes that he wanted that were open um, to him, which was kind of the same way the Cleveland play against Pittsburgh, except that Mahomes is a much, much different quarterback and a much more dynamic quarterback than Roethlisberger was. Um, so they were having trouble, yet nonetheless the Browns kind of fought on and persevered. I thought there was great hustle from the Browns team. They really fought hard in this game, especially on offense. They weren't being given an awful lot on the offensive end. The defense, the KC defense got a lot of great pressure on Baker throughout. Essentially, the Cleveland O-line, which can play at an elite level when they're when they're all together, was a bit banged up, and, and KC took advantage of that. But despite the fact that he was under pressure for the constant game, Baker basically made, made only one bad decision. The interception was a bad decision. But other than that, he was making constantly making the best decision he could make in the scenario, pushing for it. It was a very mature performance from, from Baker, and his development through this year has been something incredible um, to watch. Um, Cleveland's defense is going to have to improve an awful lot if they want to be at this level next season. But I think they'll be back in competitive. And, and if they can get improvements on defense, they could be uh, a real uh, uh, put up a real challenge uh, in the AFC level. 
on the Casey side, I mean, it's just incredible coaching. Andy Reid is coaching at a really high level at the moment. He's he's just he's it's it's nine dimensional chess he's playing, and and nobody else uh, is able to compete with him whatsoever. If Mahomes is back next week and playing at even eighty five percent, and they still have that level of great play calling, I really can't see anybody stopping them winning the Super Bowl. The only thing that's going to stop them from winning it all this year is it, these kind of externalities, as where the, the things that could happen to Mahomes. Um, that could prevent them from getting enough because I think the defense is good enough that it can hold these kind of elite offenses to, to, uh, sufficiently to allow Mahomes to just rack up the scores um, on the other end. So from Casey, it's a, a nervous week or, or so going forward um, for the Chiefs, but um, they deserve the win. And for the Browns, I, I can't wait to watch them next year when they'll be back and they'll be confident because they know they're capable of playing um, at this level. I don't know if it's nine-dimensional chess because it's like, hey, Big Red, what are we doing? Well, we passing. Well, we passing, boys. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, like, look, like, I think, you know, it, it doesn't even do justice. Yeah, but it's Chad Henney. It's like, yeah, yeah we're going to pass it's four, Chad Henney. You know, yeah. four, fourth and one, the game is on the hand. And obviously Henney, you know, did a good scramble to get them in that position in the first place on the broken play. Um, but it's fourth and one. You know, uh, some people are now, like, because even Tony Romo, who was on the telecast, was kind of tricked. He was like, no, there's no way they're passing. Look, they're, they're all lackadaisical and stuff like that. Um, so if you're, if you're tricking Tony Romo, then obviously you're doing a good job. And people are saying, it, like, that was, the tr- like, they, they, maybe, maybe they just genuinely, unless they got a certain look, they, they wouldn't have passed. But it sounds like Andy Reid had made his mind up. They were going for it. And one-on-one Tyreek Hill is always a good shout, even if you have Brad Chad Eddy in there instead of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, to be honest, maybe it, it was even better that it was Chad Eddy in there because um, if it was Patrick Mahomes in there, the defense probably bit more on alert almost so you know maybe that's the nine-dimensional chess right there mm. um but like yeah look look Kansas City on on what they did in this game deserved to win and probably certainly would have wouldn't have been this close if Mahomes hadn't have gone out early in the third quarter um but fair play to Cleveland they, they basically as Sean said maximized what they had um like Nick Chubb got going in the second half that kind of got them going kind of going and like they just had some incredibly bad luck um, with that touchback, like, you know, uh, I think there was talk about, like, you know, Belichick's like, never do that. This is why you never do that. But, you know, it, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's in the playoffs. You're the Cleveland Browns. You're like, this could be the difference between winning and losing the game. We're already down um, by, you know, 13 points um, at that point. Well, 10 points at that point. So I could understand the impulse, but, you know, and it was like, let's be honest, it was a somewhat um, questionable hit by Dirty Dan. Uh, he doesn't get that, uh, you know, moniker for, you know, due to, like, I don't know, working, gardening too much or stuff like that. So <laughs> but this is a situation where, look, as a Cleveland fan, it kind of feels like, like, I, I don't want to say it's a moral victory, but it is to a certain extent. But of course, if you if you get a moral victory, it only really helps if you build real victories on top of that. So I just hope for Cleveland, this is a case where we're seeing the start of a really you know impressive project of turning this team into a genuine year-on-year contender in the AFC and that this won't be seen as like the one kind of spike year um, uh, before they revert back to form. I think with Stefanski, I don't think that should happen. Baker Mayfield, as we say, seems to be improving. Um, so much this year. They have Chubb, they have Hunt. I think they're under contract for another year, so it shouldn't happen, but it's the brand, so there's always that worry in the back of your mind. But what a great run. What, what a great story. And, you know, if we can see more teams like if Cleveland and Buffalo and teams like this, which have been so unlucky historically, can start getting into the playoffs and competing against Kansas City, uh, long may it continue. 
Mm. I, I, I think I think there is a reason to believe this will go on for a while with Cleveland. They have the pieces in place, and I think it's got the, it's going to be a really good feeling once the the kind of the pain goes away of to be annoyed that you didn't win an, a road game against the best team in the NFL in the divisional round. The fact that you came this close to beating the best team in the NFL and you didn't is going to hurt, but the pain of that is going to reinforce the belief that we are good enough to play at this level. So, so I, I think there is definitely... Um, um, it, it's it, For me, I can't see it not being the start of something great. Like, Another thing I actually it, wanted to mention... And I know this is a little bit of a, a damp script to put in, but how many people were in that crowd? I mean, that is a a worrying level of attendance. I mean, it gave a great um, a great atmosphere to the game, especially when it got close in the fourth quarter. But the NFL is getting a little bit lax with its uh, protocols. That looked about thirty percent, forty percent full, um, and the Buffalo game as well had looked at about the same level of crowd. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be worried about that in terms of the, the general COVID numbers. Did they up the um, maybe for a big the seating numbers for us? It looked it looked to me it looked to me like what was happening was that the so they obviously had all the groups separated. So you were allowed to buy tickets in groups, and then the groups would be separated by whatever two three meters, uh, however many numbers mm-hmm. seats was necessary. It looked to me like the at the start of the season was maybe four or five people in each group. Each group looked to me like there was about eight or 12 people per group. Mm. So whether people have gotten around this, oh, if we buy in bulk, we can fill out the stadium, or if we encourage people to buy tickets in bulk, we can we can fill out the stadium more or something. It looked like there was, it looked like there was, um, I mean, the first time it looked at it, it's like, oh my God, this looks like a sellout, but it actually was about 30, 35% full, which was... That's um, mad. No, I, thought, I thought the NFL had put like a hard cap of 10,000 or something on them, but I, did, I, I, I didn't oh, notice. I, 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 was, I was probably not as much focused on the crowd at that point, <laughs> I think. I, think, I mean, I do, do think it added to the, the great playoff atmosphere of the game, and so I was happy in the moment that it was there, but it also I'm like, this is not a good decision by the NFL mm. at all. Um, our final, our final game, Tampa Bay at New Orleans, thirty to twenty. Uh, say sticky, opportunistic Tampa Bay defense led by White, who had eleven tackles, uh, an interception, and tackle for the loss. They just dominated Breeze in this one. Um, it's a, it, it's almost certainly Breeze's last game, and it's a pretty sad one to be going out on. One hundred and thirty-four yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions, uh, as well as a forced fumble. Uh, like it was just not very good at all. Um, the only explosive play we saw was Jameis Winston on a trick play. Uh, I, I believe that the best explanation I saw of it is like, Jameis Winston came in and he threw a touchdown pass to a Saint, and this time he was meant to do it. Uh, <laughs> like uh, Brady, Brady also didn't have a particularly strong game. Uh, 199 yards and two touchdowns. Like the big difference in this game was. Tampa Bay, oh, sorry, Tampa Bay capitalized. They had three scores off three turnovers that were given to them by this Saints team. Um, and I look, the defense did play well and everything, but this was finally the Saints team seemed to kind of stumble down to closer to the level that we were afraid they might fall to. Like, Breeze has not been the same since the injury. They didn't get the performances. Like, like Michael Thomas, who took three weeks off so that he could be right for the playoffs. I don't think he had a catch or any had one catch in nope. this game. Yeah, he had none. Yeah, no like and it was it was first time was in his awful. career. Yeah, like it was it was a terrible performance from them. Um and to be honest, I, I, I genuinely and I know look 
he's a legend in the in the place and everything. But I genuinely don't know why at some point they didn't just think about let's do some more crazy plays. Let's let Jameis take some snaps. Like you know that there was clearly nothing happening with Breeze at quarterback, and they needed to make an adjustment. But you know, instead he goes out with a three interception game where he looks bizarrely because he's what he's he's eighteen months younger than Brady. Like he looks yeah. five years older than him when you saw him on that field. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah, he looked defeated. He yeah. really did, and like, look, he's he, he's been great, and he'll he'll hold records, and he's Hall of Famer, all kind of stuff. But it's a it's a rough last game, uh, and like I said, Tampa Bay defense looked pretty good, but I think you know, <laughs> it's it it would be hard to not look good against what they were getting on that off from that offense, and uh, yeah, it's it's hard to gauge this Tampa Bay team because this was a dominant ish performance but it was dominant because the opponent was in the wrong weight class yeah like like i think you know being pensive for a moment this is like this new orleans team um and the entire breeze era except for obviously when they won the super bowl early on will feel like a you know they went through those purgatory years of eight and eight they had a good draft where they got kamara they got Lattimore. then they started winning games i believe they they've had the most wins collectively over the last three seasons to have never made the Super Bowl. This feels like, you know, up there with those Buffalo teams that they went to four Super Bowls in a row and didn't win it um, in terms of the wasted opportunity. And when you had Drew Brees, who obviously, you know, in, in during this period where they've had success again, has not been as explosive as he was. But this year, you could just sense that, you know, things were turning against him. Father Time had caught up. And, you know, there was so much trickery by Sean Payton to generate explosive plays from Taysom Hill and then in Jameis Winston here in this trick play um, this week. No Taysom Hill, by the way, so they did lose that element as well. Mm. And you just saw Tampa Bay basically not respect him at all. They just did close man-to-man press coverage. They just stuck to their men and they said, throw that ball fast enough to get it past us and Drew Brees couldn't. The first interception it was an undercut of the route it was just like if, if that was a faster ball then it wouldn't have been like a faster ball that wouldn't have been, you know, wouldn't have happened they wouldn't have been able to do that but because he's just not able to do that anymore that intermediate game even now was taken away from him and then Michael Thomas, you know, who was hurt um, to be fair but Michael Thomas wasn't able to do the kind of you know, 5 10 to 10 yard completions that you expect from this from this Saints offense in recent years Years. and so the Tampa Bay defense just completely and utterly destroyed and broke him um, and it was just very sad to see like I think maybe the first fumble was the only one that was really not on breeze in this game and then Tampa Bay just took advantage like Tom Brady didn't play great in this game but that you could see the difference physically between Tom Brady and Drew Brees Tom Brady still looks like he can throw the ball deep and he yeah. had a couple of throws um, one to Scotty Miller in particular that showed that he still has it and he has such a control over his offense that like as I, you know as I was talking about earlier, like Green Bay right now, I feel like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, they've kind of created a, a playground for him to play in. But this with Tom Brady feels like an orchestra where he is pulling the strings every single play. And in this particular case, he saw New Orleans. They have a good defense. They've obviously lost to New Orleans twice this season. And he just took what was available. If that was the short screen to Leonard Fournette, he took it, got the 5-10 yards, kept doing that. He had a couple of deep shots to Chris Godwin at the end of the half that probably should have been led to a touch. Um, so you know he, he could have scored more here but even given the statistics at the end it was just an incredibly efficient totally in control 
um, uh, totally in control performance from Brady, um, which was enough here. I'm sure if, if you know if some of these things had gone the other way and New, New Orleans had been less um, turnover heavy, he might have had to do more. But given what was in the front of him, he did what was required and always looked. You know, ju- he looked just as good as he did three, four, five years ago, and he looks like a serious, you know, threat for anyone left in the playoffs because, mm. well, it's Tom Brady, so he always is. But there's no age. It feels like with him, he just keeps on going. It seems forever and ever. Yeah, it's the difference between the two quarterbacks that I think decided this game. Both of them had, I mean, on the numbers, both of them had relatively unspectacular um, performances. But with Brady, it was a kind of a, a drive management. He went into Brady playoff mode, which is just, you know, just be calm, reliable, get it done, be professional, get the ball down, get as many points on the board as necessary to win. He always felt that he was in control. Um, of, especially, I mean, the first quarter or so, it was a little bit dicey. The, the, the Saints seemed to have him figured out a little bit. But once he got into his groove, it felt he was in control and they were always going to rack up the points, especially the fact that they were able to... Ex- all the turnovers as effectively as they did. The first three turnovers that the Saints gave up uh, all led to touchdowns. Um, and it's that kind of difference, it's that kind of um, efficiency um, which marks out Tom Brady in the playoffs. On the other side, Bra- Breeze, as we've talked about, he had no big throws. He never really was able to get anything explosive going. It was interesting that, that the books, I mean, we talked a little bit about, about this last week, that the books defensive scheming against the Saints and whatever that was week 10 week 11 when they lost 38-3 was based on a kind of a daring breeze to throw long under the belief that he couldn't do it and I said that they probably shouldn't try it again they didn't try exactly the same thing but it was a variant of this of the we will set up our defense in a certain way because we believe Drew Brees isn't capable of doing certain things mm-hmm. I think the big difference between week 11 and this game here was that the in the middle we had Brees's injury the, the ribs and the such like, he came back and he, he was already in decline before the injury, but that injury, I think, killed off whatever was kind of left uh, of Breeze's explosiveness as a quarterback. So the Bucks knew that Breeze was incredibly limited, so they kind of forced him to be anything except that, and they couldn't get it done. It is very sad um, for the Saints, certainly. It's, it's, it's sad that this iteration, which has been a really good Saints team the last three or four years, it may end up being that that controversial NFC Championship loss to the Rams in 2018 is going to be as close as they ever get to a Super Bowl, and the talent probably deserves more. But ultimately, three home playoff games they've lost now. Um, uh, of their last four home playoff games, if, I, if I'm right in thinking that they've had, they've lost them. Um, so it's like they've, they've fallen short um, at the time when other teams, players like Tom Brady... Uh, Kansas City, whatever other teams step up and perform, these Saints seem to to step down uh, and not do enough. For the Bucks, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to see how far they'll go. Certainly, then matchup next week is very interesting because the Bucks are the one team that gave the Packers real trouble this season when they've played. Um, the defense looks very interesting. It was interesting. Their strength is run defense and their weakness is pass defense. But in this game, the run defense didn't seem to know how to deal with Kamara. He made very good progress, generally speaking. Um, uh, against them, whereas it was the pass defense because of the scheming against Breeze was able to perform a lot better than I've seen in a while, a lot more aggressive as well. They were getting those turnovers. They were getting good yardage out of their, their returns from turnovers and stuff like stuff, stuff we haven't really seen from the books yet. So it feels like the books are clicking. They seem to know who they are now. It's, it's tending to come together and they will be interesting, especially with Brady under center um, going forward for the Saints. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I guess you could call it a tragedy. It is it is the team that never was. It was the Super Bowl win, 
and that never was. You would have thought at least one of those years they would have pulled them together, but in the end, it's not to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'll be sad to see him go, but yeah, good job for Breeze and Brady. I do think, as he said, he's maybe it wasn't his best performance, but he's got the arm strength. He knows what he's doing. We've seen them put it on in different games, so I would definitely not put him past. And when we're thinking about that, I suppose we'll go and have a look at the games that are coming up for next week. So, first up, we have Tampa Bay at Green Bay, the NFC Championship game. Me and Ronan have gone for uh, Green Bay, and Sean, you've gone for Tampa Bay in this one. Uh, so, you think that Brady's going to be able to, 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 to turn it on? Yeah, I mean, so firstly, I'd just like to, to brag a little bit about the fact that I'm at 10-0. and 0 Yeah, sorry, I meant to mention, yeah. 10-0, uh, baby. I am undefeated and only three more games to go to have a perfect playoff season, if not necessarily a great regular season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, <laughs> my logic here, I guess, is based a little bit upon that regular season game between the Bucks and the Packers when the... the Bucks basically just got at the Packers early, kind of gave them the proverbial punch in the mouth that we've talked about all through this year, that the Packers don't seem always up for a fight when it is necessary, uh, and um, that as a result that the Bucks were kind of comfortable in that. I think both teams have changed a little bit since then. Obviously, the Packers' offense is, is clicked into a gear that wasn't even at, at that level. The Bucks have changed a little bit in, in terms of their offensive efficiency and uh, certain the things that they're doing on the defense. But I think there's going to be a psychological edge there. So I think, obviously, the being played at Lambeau is, is going to be a big edge. The Packers know how to play in the cold. The Bucks don't necessarily know to do that. That said, Tom Brady spent, whatever, 18 years playing uh, in uh, the Boston winter. So I don't think he's going to be afraid of, of producing in big playoff games uh, in the snow. But I think that there is evidence here that the Bucks know how to get at this Packers offense. And I think that combined with the level that their offense is getting at in terms of productivity, I think it's going to be enough to just get them over the line uh, in this one. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really interesting matchup. Like, I think it's a real contrast in styles on offense, which I've kind of alluded to in the, in the, in the, in the reviews from last week, which is like Tampa Bay have this, you know, Tom Brady is in complete control of this offense at this point. He has slowly assimilated the Bruce Arians brain and you now he is the Borg and, and, you know, he will not be defeated any other way except the Tom Brady way. Uh, and I expect that that will be quite run heavy in this because I think the one weakness of the Green Bay defense has traditionally been uh, this year, the, the run defense. They've let up a lot of yards in the run game. The Rams, one of the few things that they did pretty well on offense was run the ball. So I expect that if Ronald Jones is healthy and he played a bit in the game this week, so I expect he's back, um, that, that, will, that they're going to run him and grind them out and then rely on the short passing game to kind of get done. Because I think, like, you know, I don't expect too many deep shots to Mike Evans because he'll probably be covered by Jair Alexander, who is a, you know, top-level corner. He can shut guys down. Kevin King against Chris Godwin. There should be some opportunities there um, in kind of middle, uh, like, intermediate-type routes. So I expect Godwin will, will be okay. And then you might see Antonio Brown really break out here because I think, you know, may, like that that's maybe not something that, that they have another corner, corner who can really compete with them. Then, obviously, Brown has been a difference-maker over the last month as, you know, as much as we don't want that to be true it is true and uh, maybe Scotty Miller and Rob Gronkowski get involved in the game as well so I just think like Tampa Bay 
you know, they have a scheme there. But I'm like the reason I'm picking Green Bay is because I just think the growth that we've seen in this Green Bay offense, that the level of comfort that uh, Aaron Rodgers now has, even compared to like what was a week five or something they played Tampa Bay, I just feel that they've elevated that extra level. That like Aaron Rodgers is seeing the matrix now because everything has been cleaned up for him. That the whole scheme is working and the entire team has 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 got into it, except for their hands. Because I'm sure MVS will drop a ball here because or Alan Lazard, <laughs> but that is just what happens. But like I think. I just the way Aaron Rodgers is seeing the field, the way he's so comfortable in this game, the way he's enjoying football, like he is a he is a virtuoso. He's kind of like more like you know the lead singer of a band rather than a conductor like Brady. He is someone that he's got the band around him now. They're playing really well, but now he's gonna pull out the killer you know killer solo, and he's able to do that every single game with these play action plays where he you know where he points something out and he just makes a huge play. And I'm just not willing to vote against uh, Aaron Rodgers at the moment. I just think he is completely imperious at the moment and I imagine that even given the issues that I talked about there where Tampa Bay do have some advantages and may scheme up well I'm still going to vote for Aaron Rodgers and think that Green Bay get it done on his arm yeah and like you have to think versus the time that they played beforehand there are personnel changes that are back like Alan Lazard is back and he is a very big part of that passing offense the running attack wasn't really up to much at that point and now they've got a lot more going on there and like I said I think Rodgers is just playing at a crazy high level that said I don't I don't discount Tampa Bay's chances in this game because I think like I said if they can get Ronald Jones going they can control it on the ground keep it out of their hands that's fine I think to be honest the team will be fine with the cold weather I think they will be prepared for that and they, they, they'll be up for the game full stop. I just don't know if they have... The Tampa Bay guys were able to get the last one because they got three scores off the back of turnovers. Unless they can start generating those turnovers, because I don't think they're going to be getting... Like in that game, they got two interceptions from Rodgers when they played beforehand. I don't see that happening this time. Like I think if Green Bay... Like I think they have a good run offense. I think they will continue to run somewhat. But I don't think that they'll. I don't think they'll be as run heavy as they were against the Rams, who, whose run defense is good, but they have a great pass defense. But I think Tampa Bay. We saw, for example, in that Kansas City game, particularly in the first half, that they, you know, if they come out with the wrong scheme, if they try to blitz, yeah. and then like Todd Bowles loves blitzing, um, but he's got a he's got a understand that if he blitzes Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is going to absolutely kill him. So it'll be really interesting to see how conservative Tampa Bay are and how much help they give their um, secondary because they have the great linebackers, they have a good line, but their secondary has been exposed at times this year. And if they don't give them help, if they choose to play, no, we're Tampa Bay, we play aggressive, um, we do what we want on defense, then I do feel that Green Bay could could have a a lot of points in this game. Um, But if Tampa Bay are smarter... You know, realize that it's not all about sacks and turnovers and stuff like that. It's about you know stopping them from scoring points. Um, then maybe they can keep this closer, keep it tight. And certainly, I don't expect this to be a blowout. I'm just saying that if it comes down to the last quarter, I just think Green, like Aaron Rodgers, right now is a level above Tom Brady. Tom Brady is all of famer, greatest of all time, but he ultimately, I don't want to say he's a system quarterback, he, but because it, it's his system, it's like Peyton Manning levels of like this is his offense, but. I just feel like Aaron Rodgers, within the system he's operating, is just able to has the freedom to do things that no one else is do, able to do, which is what you know made us so excited about him and made him the greatest of all time. We felt like early on in his career, and we're seeing so much more closer to that at the moment. Yeah, an interesting one. Um, yeah, like I said, I can see I can see both ways on it. Uh, next up, uh, Buffalo at Kansas City. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Kansas City, and Ronan, you've uh, you've defected. You're going for Buffalo. 
Yeah, like, look, like, I know I, I've made picks for Kansas City uh, earlier on in the season. And, like, I think to a certain extent, I think Kansas City, like, I, like, this is the, like, picking Kansas City, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. This is, for me, a 50-50 game. I do genuinely kind of hope um, that, they, like, this could be both these quarterbacks, hopefully Mahomes obviously is back, that we just see a, you know, you know the two best quarterbacks in the AFC uh, by far. I know Lamar had a great second half of the season, but... Based on what they did this season, Mahomes and Josh Allen have been the pick of their conference. And they're both kind of similar. They both make really ridiculous plays. They both kind of make you go, how the hell did they get away with that? Um, like, I think, you know, Kansas, obviously Pat Mahomes is a better overall passer. But, like, Josh Allen has the, like, poor man's Cam Newton um, type of thing. Like, he's kind of like poor man's Pat Mahomes in the pass game, poor man's Cam Newton in the run game. But, you know, if you put two, two of the best players who ever at quarterback at those respective skills into a single quarterback, you get a truly electric combination of skills. And, you know, the, the advancements that we've seen in Josh Allen in the deep passing game in terms of his accuracy has been just night and day and probably might get Brian Dayball a job uh, yet uh, from, from Philly or Houston. Um, but it's just a situation where I just think Josh Allen has been playing really, really well. His connection with Stefan digs is really exciting and I think last week was more of an aberration due to the conditions and the quality of the Baltimore defense because we saw that the Kansas City defense against a Cleveland team that doesn't really uh, go deep that isn't really uh, they really can't really pick on the corners whereas Josh Allen will be able to do that will be able to rack up those points and we could get like a really you know almost like Kansas City versus Rams shootout we saw a couple of years ago type game and if that's what happens then it's really 50-50 but I'm going to go for the sentiment say Buffalo those fans deserve a win all the suffering that they've had over the last two decades after you know the Super Bowls that they lost in a row again and again um, <laughs> so on sentiment I'm going to pick Buffalo to win a game which I genuinely think could go either way yeah I'll caveat yeah. this with, obviously obviously Pat Mahomes doesn't play it changes this a little bit but to be honest I've, I've been thinking about it since, since Sean kind of alluded to it earlier do you know what I've got a feeling that this team might actually be able to beat them anyway I think Breed is coaching at an incredibly high level at the moment. Spags has the defense playing excellently. The pressure they were delivering on the Browns and even just the last two or three weeks has been good. They were getting into the backfield. Like when we look at when the Chiefs played the played the Bills early in the season, yes, it was increment weather and all that stuff. But they made them like their rushing game did nothing and their rush game has gotten worse since then. Uh uh they were down at three point five, I think, in that game. Uh Josh Allen had 122 yards passing. Uh, yeah, but that was like, a rainy, rainy, horrible day, similar to the, the the divisional game. Like that, those conditions limited the pass game. Kind of took away what gets you excited for this Buffalo team. Kansas City, it'll be. I assume it's going to be cold, but I assume it'll be clear. And obviously, might be clear. Being from Buffalo, he's not going to have any issues with the conditions. Like. I, I well, so this is the thing though. Like our pass rush is now faster than it was beforehand, and the disruption is more there. So we'll see how that goes against. Them. But equally, when we played them that time, we had 245, 250 yards on the ground. We had no problem when we couldn't pass to still completely handle that team. So to be honest, like I'd, I'd like to see things I'm also looking interested in are will CEH be back for this game because he was a la- he was a game day decision last week for him to not play so that'll be very interesting to see uh, obviously they have a couple of new players to mix in there there's good receiving core I think with a week to prepare even if it's not Mahomes in there if you target it as being a past 25 times max with uh, 
with Chad Henney in there and, and, and lean on the run game and lean on the kind of the Kelsey to constantly kind of post up at about nine yards and stuff like that. Like, this is a good Bills team, but it's a good Bills team that, what, put up 17 last week, put up, what, 27 the week beforehand. Again, a lot of these coming on defensive the, plays and stuff like, like those, that. Like, the, don't forget, like, the Ravens and the Colts are two of the best defenses in the league. Like, those aren't trivial like defenses to get points I against. wouldn't I wouldn't in any way think the Colts are one of the best defenses in the league based on the, the stats they're one of the better defenses in the league mm. uh, but like look like I think like you know Spags obviously he had success in that first game though I do think the conditions really helped him there like in games where defenses have been aggressive against Josh Allen uh, and I would notice well because the Seahawks blitzed him a lot um, in their game he absolutely killed them similar to how you can't blitz Pat Mahomes I genuinely think Josh Allen because of both his arm talent and his, his improved ability to read the game but obviously his ability to make explosive plays if, if he breaks the pocket um, if Spags decides to go after him very aggressively and leave his guys on an island I do see Josh Allen being able and good enough to exploit that um, assuming that we're not talking about some inclement conditions that, that, that kind of change the thing here um, if we have conditions like we saw in the Chiefs I just don't see the Bills offense not putting up a lot of points now the Chiefs offense will probably not put up a lot of points as well but so this is purely just a shootout at that point so um, that's a game I want to see that's a game I definitely we could see and I you know, uh, I think you know. I do. I wouldn't dismiss the Bills based based on what I think. Both these teams, to be to be honest, down the stretch have not necessarily been at the peak of them. But I think that what we've seen of their peaks give an indication of the kind of explosive sh- like showdown that we could have on our hands here. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, it's it to me. I'm kind of come down on Connor's side here to think about it from a, a coaching point of view. Obviously. Whether Mahomes plays or not is, is a big uh, difference, and I think if Mahomes plays and Casey should be caught, don't play, I think it will be, if he doesn't play, I think it will be a lot closer, but I still think there's enough in the kind of the, the level of coaching that the Chiefs are getting from Andy Reid, from the kind of the defensive end um, as well, that they're really coming together as a team, and they just have that explosive offense, and you even saw in that game against Cleveland that Andy Reid was eventually beginning to figure out how to use Chad Henney, how to use his strengths, how to avoid his weaknesses, what are the best ways to play around him. And if he has a week to prepare that, then he will know exactly how to use him in those situations. It won't be Mahomes level, but he will still have the the same kind of receiving core. He will still have Kelsey. He will still have Hill. He will still have the, the kind of players around him that can, are capable uh, of big things. Um, so I can see the Chiefs still putting up a lot of points. Now the question then um, I guess is is how many can the Bills score? And obviously, you do have the the Allen Diggs thing going on, the explosive explosive offense that is capable of much of a lot. And I do think they are different from when they played earlier in the season, not just in terms of the the conditions, but also the fact that the Bills offense has matured an awful lot since then in terms of its confidence, in terms of the sophistication of its play calling. The the Bills of the last say five six weeks is a marked contrast to the to the Bills of the first 10, 11 weeks of the season, even though the first 10, 11 weeks, the Bills were also still a very good team. They just weren't kind of this level of good. So I think it'll be close, but I think the Chiefs have enough all around to just be better. And I would worry a little bit about this Bills defense. I mean, I talked them up an awful lot against the in terms of what they did to the Ravens. Um, but it does, you do get the sense sometimes that they, when they scheme up well, when they match on well to the team that they're playing, that they can handle them. But equally, there have been times this season where they've, they've been blown apart by explosive offense. We only have to think about that, the Kyler Murray um, performance for the Cardinals, such like the way they can be torn apart 
um, if they if they don't um, get to grips early with the kind of quarterback and the offense that they're dealing with. I just see the Bills maybe just don't maybe not quite this year. Maybe in two or three years they'll they'll be Super Bowl contenders, but maybe just not quite yet. I'll also look like (laughs) if Buffalo win and no table in America will be safe. Oh yeah, like (laughs) I I desperately want to find a way to invest in like local table manufacturers in uh, in Buffalo to see if they happen to do it. Hasn't Josh Allen said he'll he'll jump into like a flaming table if they win? He he, he said line up two. He asked if he'd jump through a table. He said line up two of them and set them on fire. That he'd do a he'd do a doubler on fire if they did it. Um, that man, also, he's not the. I don't know if he's the sharpest tool in the shed, but he, he genuinely seems like a decent old chap. He's yeah, having good, he's having a good time. That's all that matters. Yeah. He is, and he has his love for Stefan Diggs is, is something else as well. Yeah, the puppy eyes he gives him every game. So other bits are just like I like I like the idea of one or two of the playmakers being able to do stuff on the Chiefs side while they've got a very top heavy defensive thing. Like I imagine that we'll see Tyron Matthew being able to kind of make a play or two and things like that that I think might be if it does get to that kind of close game like you're saying Ronan if it does end up being a shootout I think I'd take the two or three playmakers on our side over their side like you know Diggs is incredible but if we need a one-off play I'm probably going to side with Hill to do that you know like Mm. I just I think I think if they are there and I to be honest I think at this point in my head I'm working on the assumption that 99% I think Pat Mahomes is playing on Sunday um, mm. from everything that I'm reading on t- Chiefs media and all that kind of stuff it sounds like it but we'll see we'll see um, yeah and also we're at home and yeah fun times uh, oh that's another one actually we forgot the news congrats to Andy Reid he now becomes the uh, it's only the second time uh, a team has hosted three home uh, championship games and he was both times once in the NFC for the Eagles and once in the AFC for the Chiefs so he does quite good things. Well done. Hopefully the record is a little bit better this time, given that he only won <laughs> one of those three for the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's got a Super Bowl already in the Chiefs. So. Yeah, he's, he's, already, he's already stepped up past it, I think. But, uh, but yeah. No, well, uh, the Eagles, Eagles could have won that Super Bowl, whatever, 15 years ago and gets the Pats if Andy Reid had any concept of clock management whatsoever. They'd probably yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but if he'd learned clock magic, he would have learned how to run. So, you know, he wouldn't be where he is now then because of it. And yeah. I think as you know, somebody was saying, the league has caught up to Andy Reid, not vice versa. He's ahead of his time. <laughs> it's like they only took that fourth and one snap because like they're like, oh shit, like a timeout. So I have any left. I don't know. Uh, just pass it. <laughs> yeah, I liked he was asked in the interview. He said like, uh, like, how did you think of that? How did you think of that as a passing down? I think he says like, "Oh, like I went to BYU. Every every down's a passing down. It's all about mindset," <laughs> <laughs> which I kind of like. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, looking forward to that. Now it should be make for a good weekend of games. Uh, very excited. Any crack with yourselves for the rest of the week, or just that? Uh, not much. As as with you, Connor, I will be uh, partaking in some uh, RPG. Uh, action. Yeah, some um, adventures. I'm less experienced than you are in it, so it's going to be interesting. But, uh, I think yeah. we have an interesting games master who will, who will keep us on our toes. At the very we do, we do. Um, I see, This is the thing, it's a new system to me, so I'm used to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, whereas this is uh, Pathfinder, which is a bit different. But uh, yeah, we've got we've got the characters made up and should be fun. I'm actually, I'm going to have to investigate Discord and how that would work as a, as a place for us to play it on uh, I've heard good things about this course. Yeah, I've, I've I've used it once or twice for some NFL stuff, and it was good. But um, apparently, 
people have written bots for it that you can use so you can have like in section uh you could get it to like roll dice for you and stuff like that by adding oh, cool. dice rolling bots and everything so uh it's kind of handy yeah i think there's another is it another united liverpool game in the fa cup this week yeah it? fa cup fa cup uh, um i after the last one i don't know if i have the stomach <laughs> to watch it to be honest with you Ah, well, yeah, um, disappointing football yeah. to go with the exciting football, American football. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I like, you know, stay safe, you know, and stay masked where possible. That's basically it for the next uh, weeks or so. Yeah, fun times. Um, yeah, so I suppose Don't that'll do Go it. to a Kansas City game, according to Sean, you know. Mm. <laughs> sure. What a Or go in groups of 12 to 15 to the game. Yeah, yeah apparently the cheapest tickets are going online at the moment for is 1,200. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think I think you're right, John. I think it is that you that you have to go in groups. Um, so I think you can probably get them slightly cheaper if you had like eight of you in one group or something. Uh, yeah, from a, yeah. from a I mean, group, I imagine Googling that, that they're the beginning to game. I, I imagine they're beginning to game the rules a little bit in terms of that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's something like that. They have they have a hard cap on numbers, but they also have like a cap on sections or whatever because everyone has to be distant. So then, I presume it's a people have now figured out oh well actually eight of us can go together if we all say we're a household or something so yeah, i'm sure i'm sure everyone there is just a big yeah, you know, 12 yeah lots of 12 member family. households in, in the yeah. Yeah, yeah my wow, god really, so you're they, you're, you're they really you're, celebrated that last game like super bowl you know so you're just you're just 12 mormon <laughs> brothers who all live together <laughs> yes brothers <laughs> well you can have as many wives as you want but uh anyway uh yeah so as was as always you can fire questions onto us online on twitter and all that kind of stuff on facebook uh but for now it's bye from myself bye from Norman. bye bye from sean bye this has been all four quarters thanks for listening we'll chat to you next week <laughs>